the way in which you walk into a social situation and the way in which you handle people questioning you on not drinking is far more important than what you say as to the reason why you're not drinking. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Do Well and Do Good podcast. Before I tell you about today's amazing guest, I want to make sure you're following me on Instagram. It's the best spot to stay on top of what's going on with the show. And you can find me at Dorothy Ilson. That's D-O-R-O-T-H-Y-I-L-L-S-O-N. Today's guest is none other than James Swanick. James is an Australian-American investor, entrepreneur, former Sports Center anchor on ESPN. He's host of the James Swanick Show podcast and author of the 30-Day No Alcohol Challenge. As a journalist, James has interviewed countless high-performance individuals such as Al Gore, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and so many more. It is no surprise that Forbes listed James as one of the 25 professional networking experts to watch. James is also the co-founder of Swanwick Sleep, a business that he took from zero to over a million dollars in sales in just the first 12 months. Absolutely remarkable. I know you're going to love everything that James has to say today. So without further ado, here's my conversation with James Swanick. James, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, I want to dive straight into your story, James, but first let's set some context. Could you tell me a little bit about what life was like for you growing up and how you ended up moving to the United States to pursue your career goals here? I grew up in Brisbane, Australia, which is on the East Coast. I got two younger brothers and, you know, we were kind of like a middle-class family. My parents saved up and sent me to an all-boys private school. I was very, I guess I was told I was very fortunate that I got to go there. My two younger brothers did not. And then I got a job right out of high school as a newspaper uh, reporter. This was back in 1993. And Australia was going through a recession at the time. So my parents and all of my peripheral, if you like, was telling me, wow, James got a job. James got a job. That's so good. And so right from an early age, it was instilled in me to get a job, get a job, get a job. And I stayed in that job for six years. And then When I was about 23, I moved over to London where I got a job uh, again working for Sky Sports, which is like the British equivalent of Fox Sports. Then I made a big mistake and fell in love with a British woman who broke my heart. And I was so upset at the breakup. I was like, I'm going to just get on a plane and go to America for no particular reason. And so 2002, I went to Los Angeles, lived in a hostel for three months paying $15 a night, sleeping on a bunk bed and uh, figured out how to stay in the country legally. You know, started interviewing movie stars like Jack Nicholson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Angelina Jolie. Started a business in 2009, lost it because of the financial crisis. Quit drinking in 2010, got my dream job as a sports center anchor on ESPN and then started helping, you know, people quit drinking and then people sleep better later on as I became entrepreneurial. So, I think growing up in Brisbane, it was all, I was always told, get a job, get a job. And it's only really been in the last 
seven or eight years where I've rebelled against that and now I create businesses. So I definitely want to talk about that experience of quitting drinking in 2010. And I know that that is part of what led you into, you had said in another interview, actually kind of bluffing your way into becoming an anchor for SportsCenter. Could you tell us that story? How did you end up getting that job? For context, when I was 14, 15 years old, my my mother would always bring home a, a video camera during the summer holidays. And this was before we had iPhones, obviously, and you could record things so easily. But it was one of those video cameras that you rested on your shoulder. And, uh, and my younger brothers and I would pretend to be news anchors. And I get dressed up in a school uniform and sit behind a desk and with a very high-pitched voice say, welcome to Channel 7 News. I'm James Swanick. And then we'd, we'd cut and we'd go and play out these kind of fake robberies and we'd get our dog to be a character in the, in the robberies. And it was all really fun. And so I dreamed of one day hosting a television show because I just had so much fun pretending to host a television show back when I was a kid. So in 2010, an opportunity to audition for this iconic television show in America called Sports Center on ESPN presented itself. And a friend of mine said, hey, ESPN is looking for an international anchor to host Sports Center. I thought you'd be really good. Would you like me to introduce you to the producer? And I'm like, yes, I would. Absolutely. And bear in mind, I had no television experience other than in my backyard when I was 14 or 15 years old. But yeah, I, I spoke to this producer and, and ESPN was based over in Bristol, Connecticut on the East Coast of, of the US. And I was in Los Angeles, California at the time. And I said to him, oh, I just happened to be in New York next week. Why don't I just pop on over to ESPN and do the audition there? Because I'm going to be in town, so I might as well just do it. But secretly, I really had no plans to go there. And he said, well, you know, if you're going to be over here anyway, then okay, sure, I'll just come in and do the audition. And so that's what happened. I flew over and I went and did the audition. I was terrible at it, really terrible. I, I had a panic attack. As I, all I had to do was really read a teleprompter, but I had a panic attack. And then when, when the producer and I looked at the video after my first audition, he said, yeah, no, nah, not good. Doesn't look good. Very wooden. Sorry, thanks for coming out, but don't think this is going to work. And in that moment, I had a choice. It was either go back to Los Angeles with my tail between my legs or it was try to fight for another opportunity. And, and I chose the latter. And I said to him, look, can I come back tomorrow and just give it one more shot? I'm, I'm convinced I can do this. And I guess he must have felt sorry for me. So he said, okay come back tomorrow. And then the next day I went back and I nailed it. I was like, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Sports Center. James Swanick here alongside Anthony Howard. Here to take you into the weekend with a smorgasbord of sports. Let's start with the NFL. And it was considerably better. And he said, yep, I like it. Up-tempo, awesome, look good. I'm putting you on the air in two weeks. And then two weeks later, I made my debut and I became a Sports Center anchor on ESPN. That's just an unbelievable story. And I, I think that what is so important in that is just about creating your own opportunities rather than waiting for them to come to you. I think so often we're scared to be bold and do those things that you know that, that most people aren't willing to do. You know, flying to New York when you you didn't have any plans to be there, but you wanted to create that opportunity for yourself is is so important. So then, you know, what was that experience like starting at Sports Center? You know, you had you had had a panic attack your your first audition. You know, were you able to kind of figure that out as you went along? You know, how was it for you starting that? The most nervous I've ever felt in my entire life was the day 
and the hours and the minutes before I made my debut on SportsCenter. I mean, I was, I was urinating like every 30 minutes. <laughs> my, my whole body was shaking. And when I finally, when it was about 10.50 p.m., because SportsCenter start, starts at 11 p.m., I was walking down towards the studio and it felt like I was in kind of like 18th century France ready to walk to the guillotine to get my head chopped off. I, that's how stressed I was. But you know what? I just like when I sat down, I just said, come on, James, just do it the way that you did it back when you were 14 and 15 years old back in Brisbane, pretending with your brothers, just do it like that. And so when the red light went on on the camera, you know, I got through the first 10 seconds and my throat was a little dry, but I got through it. And then, you know, the second minute was easier than the fifth minute. And then by the 10th minute, I was loving it. And then it just got progressively easier and easier from there. You know, so you mentioned that before you got that job in 2010, you had stopped drinking. I'm curious, you know, what prompted that decision? I wasn't an alcoholic and I wasn't really even drinking outrageously. I mean, I was drinking consistently, but I was probably what society would deem to be a normal drinker. I would have one or two beers or half a bottle of wine midweek, you know, at the end of a day's work. And then if I would go out on a Thursday, Friday or Saturday, I would probably drink more. You know, I might have a few beers or a few drinks. Sometimes I would drink Bombay, Sapphire, gin and tonic. If I was watching, you know, football or sport on a Sunday afternoon, I, I might have a Sunday session where I drink five or six beers, but over the course of several hours. So it wasn't like I was getting drunk or doing anything stupid. However, what I realized was that the drinking was slowing me down. It was making me irritable. It was sucking away my productivity. It was making me feel lethargic. I would wake up and sort of drag myself out of bed. And that would just have this spin-off effect of being kind of tired and lethargic throughout the day. And so I realized I was just living life at kind of like a six, six and a half out of 10. So not horrible, but not outstanding, just blah, just kind of like blah, like I was existing in the world. And so I, I looked in the mirror one morning and I went, damn, James, you look a little weathered. Like you look kind of tired and weathered and got a little fat roll hanging over your belts. And I was like, I think I'm just going to quit for 30 days and see what happens. And so I did. I quit for 30 days and I lost 13 pounds in 30 days. I slept better. My skin looked better. I had more productivity. I had more focus and clarity. That was right around the time where I went and bluffed ESPN and, and because I had that clear mind and that clear thought to say, you know what, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to fly over there and make this happen. And it just felt so good. I just kept going and going and going. And I literally have not touched a drop of alcohol since then. So it's been since 2010 now since I've touched a drop of alcohol. And since then, I, I've created a business around this called the 30-Day No Alcohol Challenge. And I help thousands of people around the world quit drinking now for 30 days. You can see it at 30daynoalcoholchallenge.com. You know, now I'm very health conscious and I feel great and feel fit and healthy and life is simply better without alcohol. How did doing this, you know, sort of experiment on yourself and then deciding to keep it going, how did that transform into actually starting a business around it? I got to about 2000 and I think it was about 2015, 2016. It was actually 2015. And so I'd been not drinking then by about, for about five years. And people kept asking me, hey, is it true that you don't drink? Oh, what do you mean you don't drink? Tell me about that. And people were genuinely fascinated by it. 
because I guess they saw this guy, me going out and having fun, but not drinking. And I guess it was quite perplexing to many of them. And so I was talking to a friend of mine one day and I said, maybe I should just start a business that helps social drinkers quit alcohol for 30 days. And he said, yeah, 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 you should. So I got a napkin and a pen and I just kind of drew it out. And I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll create 30 videos, one video per day for 30 days. And when people sign up to do the 30 day no alcohol challenge, I'll send them a video automatically every day that just reminds them, hey, you can do it today. Or hey, here's what you say to your friends when they're encouraging you to drink. Or hey, here's what you do tonight when you think you want to drink and here's how to get through it. And then I'll create a closed Facebook group and I'll create this whole community around it. And so that's what I did. And, and ironically, it took me exactly 30 days to build the business. And then that 30th day, I made my first sale. Someone bought the 30 day no alcohol challenge for $67. And I was like, ah, oh, I guess I've got a business around this now. That's great. And now fast forward to today, which is coming up, you know, almost four years later, we've helped thousands of people quit drinking for at least 30 days. Some people have just stayed quit like I did and, and just haven't drunk since. And then I've subsequently created a new business called Project 90, which is a 90-day quitting alcohol program, which is for entrepreneurs and higher level people who really want to dial it in, who can see that drinking is costing them hundreds of thousands of dollars in lost revenue because they don't have that clarity and they don't have that focus. Where can people go to find out more about that? Yeah, well, so if you go to 30daynoalcoholchallenge.com for the 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge and for Project 90, you can just go to my website, which is jameswanick.com slash project 90. What I think is so fascinating about this is that, you know, like you said, you weren't an alcoholic. You, know, you weren't someone who was going out and getting hammered every night or, you know, you couldn't make it through dinner without a drink. It was just something that you were doing socially. And so I think that that really is a description that fits a lot of people, you know, most people, you could even argue. So why is it that quitting drinking when you know you are just kind of doing it socially once a week, twice a week, you know, whatever it might be. Why does that have such an impact on our performance, you know, when it's not to the level of alcoholism? Well, alcohol is a poison and it takes seven to ten days from the toxins from alcohol to leave your body. So whenever you're carrying toxins in your body, your body's having to work hard to get rid of it. And when it works hard, you're sapping your energy. Hence why we feel tired and lethargic. If you are drinking, and most of us drink at nighttime, you know, a couple of hours before sleep, then our sleep is massively disrupted because our body is then working to break down that alcohol as we sleep. So we don't spend as long in deep REM restorative sleep. It's true that if we have a glass of wine or two, we may feel sleepy and pass out or fall asleep seemingly easier. But what is also true is that the quality of your sleep is going to be severely compromised. So if you just have a couple drinks a couple times a week, right? Let's just say you have Tuesday night, you have a drink or two. Well, on Tuesday night, you're not going to sleep as well as you could. And you're going to wake up feeling tired and slightly irritable. You know that feeling you're just a little bit off your game when you've had a drink or two? Mm -hmm. And because of that, maybe you're just a little bit late for work or you just dial it in a little bit more at work. Or because you've got low energy, you go, you know what, I need a, a bagel, or I need a Krispy Kreme donut, or I need something just to give me a little energy boost because I feel tired from those two drinks the night before. 
well, now you're eating a sugary food. Now you're eating lots of carbs. And of course, you're going to crash from that. And so then you get tired again. And then also you put on weight. Maybe you, because you're irritable from those two drinks, you snap at your husband or your wife or your kids or your colleagues or your friends or your partner, where ordinarily you might be calm and just not snap. And maybe you're in line at the supermarket and now you get super frustrated because the old lady in front of you is pulling out her coupons for $1.50 off and it's taking too long for you to get through the, the supermarket aisle. It's just these little things which then add up to big things. And then maybe you go out on a Friday night and you have a few drinks and you say, oh, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning and I'm going to exercise, I'm going to feel great. And then the alarm goes off or you wake up on Saturday and you go, nah, I'm not hungover, but I'm just kind of like, yeah. I might just skip the exercise today. And so now everything just slows down and you don't feel good and you're just kind of like, blah. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. I mean, it's just this chain reaction. And you, you hear one common thread between high performance people are their morning routines. And so that's something that we talk about a lot on the show. And I know for me, you know, how I spend my morning is huge in dictating the way the rest of my day goes. And you know, I am... Definitely not much of a drinker. I mean, my, my friends joke with me that I do like a quarterly night out. But even, you know, once a quarter, whenever that time comes, it almost feels like it takes me two days to recover from that. And why do you want to waste two days of your, of your life? I mean, we only have one known life. So why spend two days of them feeling lethargic and tired and not at the top of your game and, and having to recover? Like, ugh, the word recover, ugh. It's just got a negative connotation to it. Now, here's the thing. Your friends or or people in general may say, oh, yeah, but we have so much fun when we're out drinking. I'm like, okay, great. You may have so much fun when you're out drinking. That's, That's great. But here's the thing. You can have just as much fun, if not more, out not drinking. Like literally, you can have as much fun while sipping on soda water and water or you know, whatever non-alcoholic drink you're drinking, you can go out, you can party, you can dance on tables and swing from the rafters and do whatever you want just while drinking water and soda water. It's like you don't need to put this poison in you just in order to have fun. It is a complete nonsense that you need the alcohol to be able to fit in socially or to be able to party or to be able to have fun. It's a, it's a nonsense. And I think the, the notion that there's peer pressure, you know, your friends want you to drink. It's, it's really bullshit at the end of the day. No one cares if, if you're sipping on a, a soda water while everyone else is, is having vodka sodas. You know, it's, it, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. One thing I'm curious about is you, know, you have spent a lot of time talking with really high profile individuals, you know, celebrities, sports stars, you know, people that for a lot of us, you know, could be intimidating to talk to. And it made me think about, you know, when we go to these networking events or, you know, happy hours at a conference and, you know, a lot of people want to have a drink just to kind of take the edge off and join in the social ritual of drinking and, and make it easier to, you know, to be comfortable in those conversations. Any tips for when you're not drinking in a situation like that, you know, how to... I guess, how to you know, stop relying on alcohol as a crutch. The way in which you walk into a social situation and the way in which you handle people questioning you on not drinking is far more important than what you say as to the reason why you're not drinking. 
So when you get, let's say you're in a party, let's say you're at a bar, okay, and people are ordering drinks and having a good time and someone says, oh, can I get you a drink? And you say, yeah, grab me a soda water. That'd be like, what do you mean? You're not drinking? not drinking? Like, go on, just have one, just have one. So how you respond is far more important than what you say in response. If you can say it like in a fun way, like, ah, no, I'm good. I'm going to get drunk on the water tonight. <laughs> I'm not going to get drunk on the soda water tonight. And you say it with a smile and a laugh and with confidence, that person cannot make you feel bad and that person cannot pressure you. And that person sees that you are strong in your conviction and that person will just drop it. The problem that people get into is when they go to a bar, they're like, oh, I'm not drinking or oh, I can't have fun. Everyone else is having fun. And so I'm just sitting in the corner with my water and with my shoulders slumped forward. Then it becomes this big issue. Then, you become, then it becomes this, oh, I should just have a drink. And then someone says, yeah, go on, just have one drink. And then you have a drink. But if you walk in and you smile and, you're the, and you commit to being the most charming and the most engaging and having the most fun and smiling the most and do it all while drinking soda water and water, people don't care. Like people literally don't care that you're not drinking. Most people don't even notice that you're not drinking. So I think if you go in with a really confident, positive attitude and you smile and you look at drinking water and soda water as the gift rather than some punishment, because people keep looking at alcohol as some gift or some reward. It's like, oh, reward myself with a drink. Yeah, reward yourself with poison that stays in your system for seven to 10 days. Great. Wow. So good. If you just go in there with like this idea of like, yes, I get to drink soda water and water tonight. Yes, I get to be the most charming and have the most fun while drinking soda water and water. If you go in with that attitude, you will have an outstanding time, I promise you. Yeah, no, I, I definitely can vouch for that. I mean, I'm that person who will go to a bar with my friends and I'll, I'll get a beer and then two hours later realize that I still have my full beer in my hand just because I've never been um, much of a drinker. And so that makes so much sense. And it seems like the common thread in everything you're saying here, it all comes back to sleep. You know, this effect that even just having a couple drinks has on, on your sleep and what that leads to the next day, you know, that's really what it's all about. You know, so I'm curious, is that part of what led to you founding Swanwick Sleep, which is your main business now, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, I have a business. It's called Swanwick Sleep and we help people sleep better. And our main product are a pair of blue light blocking glasses with an orange lens that we call Swannies. So my last name is Swanwick and my uh, school friends used to nickname me Swanee. And, and then all of our customers who ended up buying our glasses just started calling them Swannies as well. So it's kind of cool. Even when I quit drinking, my sleep was okay. It was pretty good. But what I realized a few years ago was that I was lying in bed before I would go to sleep, scrolling through my phone. And sometimes I was taking my laptop to bed and, and watching some reruns of TV shows on my laptop and, you know, doing work. And I was staring into these screens, right? Like these electronic screens, like the cell phone screen, your computer screen, TV screen. My sleep was okay. I mean, it was, wasn't a nine out of 10. It wasn't a six. It was like a seven and a half. I mean, some nights I'd fall asleep right away, but other nights I'd, it'd be challenging. Some nights I'd sleep deeply, but other nights I'd toss and turn. Some nights I'd wake, some mornings rather, I'd wake up feeling all right. Other mornings I'd feel refreshed. And then I was out in Palm Springs, California one night with a friend of mine and he was wearing these really ugly pair of Uvex safety goggles, kind of like those big orange plastic glasses that you might wear if you were 
going to a gun range or if you were uh, mowing the lawn and trying to protect your eyes from flying stones and rocks and things. And there was a table of very attractive women adjacent to us. And, I, and my friend was wearing these ugly, ugly glasses. And I said, Mark, get those things off. You look ridiculous and you're making me look ridiculous by association. And he said, no, man, I'm trying to block the blue light. And I said, blue light, what are you talking about? And he said, well, there's blue light that is being emitted from these lights above us in the hotel right now. And there's blue lights that's being emitted from your cell phone and from your computer screen. And he told me that once that blue light hits your eyes at nighttime, it tricks your body and brain into thinking that it's daytime, which means your body does not prepare for sleep the way that nature intended it to prepare for sleep, which means you don't produce as much melatonin, which means when it comes time to actually want to fall asleep, you have trouble because your body and brain still thinks it's daytime and it hasn't started to prepare for sleep appropriately. The problem was is that he was wearing a really ugly pair of glasses and I didn't want to wear a pair of ugly glasses out and about. I was just vain enough that I wanted to look cool while uh, protecting my eyes. So I kind of came up with this idea for a stylish pair of blue light blocking glasses that I would feel comfortable wearing both at home in the last hour before I wanted to sleep at night and also out and about at a restaurant or in a bar or in public without people looking at me going, why is that freak wearing weird glasses at nighttime? Or why is he wearing sunglasses at nighttime? That's weird. And so my youngest brother, Tristan, and I, who's my business partner, we created this stylish pair of blue light blocking glasses, which are now known as Swannies. You wear them in the last hour before you want to sleep. You can continue scrolling through your phone, continue watching TV, continue being inside light at night but your body thinks it's nighttime, which means you prepare melatonin, which means by the time you finally remove those glasses just before you roll over and go to sleep, you can fall asleep quicker, you can sleep deeper, and ultimately wake up feeling refreshed. Well, you've built a massively successful business out of this concept. And I think what's so fascinating about it to point out is that you didn't really invent something brand new. You you took something that was an existing concept that other people were doing, but you fixed one critical problem with it, which was that they were ugly. So, you know, would you say that that is one of the keys that you found to successful business, especially in the physical product space of improving on something that's already out there? Yeah, 100%. So I took an existing product and I made it just a little bit better. So I think a lot of business, a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck in this idea of, oh, let's create a new product or let's create, let's invent something. And I find that challenging. I think take an existing product and make it just a little bit better and people get that, you know, people can understand that. For example, I had a friend of mine and and he did yoga and he was always complaining about how short the yoga mats were. So he literally found a yoga mat producer and said, can you put an extra foot at the end of a yoga mat and make extra long yoga mats. And the yoga mat guy said, sure. And then he created a business called extra long yoga mats. And it sold millions of dollars just because all he did was just add an extra foot to the end of a traditionally sized yoga mat, called it extra long yoga mats and bang, massive business. Pretty crazy. Yeah, no, it really is. Yeah. I'm curious. 
Today in our cell phones and you know there are apps on our computers like Flux that just kind of turn your screen orange to try to solve this blue light problem. Are those as effective? What role do those play? Flux is an app that you can put on your, your computer, like you said, which at nighttime, it'll start to strip away the blue light to make your screen turn a little bit more orange to limit that blue light exposure. And that's very good. That'll give you about a three out of 10 protection. Okay, so it's good. It's good. And then on, if you have an iPhone, there is a setting called night shift. And if you turn the night shift setting on, it will do the same thing, which is, you know, around 7 p.m., 8 p.m. at night, your phone will start to go a little more orange, start to reduce that blue light exposure. And again, that'll give you about a three or a four out of 10 protection, which is good. Okay, so they're not bad. However, what those cannot do is protect your eyes from the blue light that is coming at you from your bathroom light, your kitchen light, your living room light, the street lights, the speedometer in your car, the McDonald's golden arches when you're driving down the streets and you're like, oh, there's McDonald's. All of that light is using blue light. All of that light is blue light. And so just think about it. Just think about all of the light that you are exposed to at night that does not include your phone and your computer. So while night shift on your iPhone is great and flux on your computer is great, you really do need to wear a pair of blue light blocking glasses to protect your eyes from all of the other light, including a television screen, by the way. That's why using a pair of Swannies, blue light blocking glasses in conjunction with Flux and with Night Shift is really the gold standard. Yeah. And I, I actually have a pair on my way in the mail. So I'm super excited to get those because I've used Flux for a long time, but I haven't ever really noticed any difference. And so that, that makes a ton of sense. You know, I'm curious, it's 8.30 in the morning for you right now. And I see you are wearing a pair of Swannies. Do you wear them all the time now? Well, I wear mine throughout the day sporadically. I don't wear them consistently at nighttime. So, you know, we're talking now, we've been talking now 35 minutes, I guess, that we've been on, we're doing this interview. You and I are conversing and I'm seeing you on a screen, okay? So I'm exposing myself to blue light as I'm talking to you and as we're recording this. So I want to protect my eyes as much as possible from that blue light because overexposure to blue light during the daytime can sap away at your clarity and your focus and make you tired. Now, I'm not going to wear these all day. I'm only going to wear these in like 15-minute increments and I might wear them throughout the day like four or five times. But for the most part, I'm not wearing them and I am you know, just living my life because we actually want blue light during the day. We want blue light during the day. It's just when we're staring into these screens all day, into these things that I refer to as mini suns, then we start to get tired and, out and we can't think properly and we get frustrated. Now, having said that, we do actually have a pair of daytime Swannies, which have a clearer lens to them. And the clearer lens filters some of the blue light. So it doesn't block it out entirely. It just kind of like filters it. And what that does is it just reduces that blue light exposure. And what this will do is it'll give me a consistent amount of clarity, a consistent amount of focus, a consistent amount of productivity throughout the day because I'm not just staring into a mini sun and being exposed to blue light for eight hours a day. 
and you would never know that they're doing that. I mean, they they look stylish, almost almost like Ray-Bans or something. And and those clear lenses, you know, no one would ever know what you're wearing. That's very cool. Well, so James, shifting gears a little bit, I know that giving back is something that is really important to you and, and always has been. And really what Do Well and Do Good is about is, you know, how creating success in our personal and professional lives allows us to multiply our impact. One thing that you did was you actually volunteered for 11 charities in 11 weeks. Could you tell us all about that? You know, how did you come up with that concept? What prompted that? Yeah, well, I had a little bit of a midlife crisis in February of 2018. I, I, yeah, a couple of personal things happened. And for about four to six weeks there, I was just, I felt what it must feel like to be depressed for a time. Nothing bad was actually happening. It was all in my mind, but I definitely felt depressed. And I'd always read all these books about, you know, if you're feeling sad or depressed, you know, how to help yourself get through that. And a lot of the books had said, you know, start doing things for other people, help other people. That's the quickest way to get you out of your own head alongside other things like eating well and exercise and sunlight and things like that. So I just said, you know what, how can I really get out of this depression? I'm like, I'm going to do something really crazy and step up here. And I'm going to do 11 different charities in 11 weeks. And I'm just going to commit to it. And so I did. I didn't want to do it. I was kind of like forcing myself to do it just from brute willpower. But as I started to do it, I did in fact get out of my head and I started to realize that there are so many people out in the world who are so less off than what I am. I did uh, Meals on Wheels in Santa Monica. I went to the LA food kitchen and prepared food for the homeless. I did uh, After School All Stars, which I went to some schools in East Los Angeles and mentored some kids there. I just did consistently one every week and it really opened my eyes up to, you know, a lot of struggle in the world. And also it actually made me happier. Maybe not happier. It made me less sad. It's probably a more, a more accurate way of saying it during that time. And yeah, some amazing things came, came of that. No, I think that you know, whenever we are in a negative headspace, you know, just doing little random acts of kindness for people, you know, even if it's not as large of an initiative as you took on, you know, just the act of buying a cup of coffee for the person in line behind you or simply smiling at someone and, and asking them how their day is going, you know, that stuff, it creates a, a little endorphin boost in ourselves that you know, helps to get us out of that negative headspace. So I know you've also been involved in a charity um, run by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Could you tell me about that? Yeah, it's called After School All-Stars. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's had it for about 20 years. And we raise money and, and to have mentors go into schools and provide after-school education. So when you know, a kid's normal day might start, might finish at 3 p.m., it's almost like a new class starts at 3.30, from 3.30 until 5.30. And it's things like showing kids how to grow you know, vegetables in a garden or how to do sports or how to, do, how to have people skills, how to do conflict management. It's not really you know, studying in a book or anything. It's really kind of like after school, teaching them about careers and things like that. And it's a really wonderful way to help mentor children at an impressionable age because if they weren't doing that, then the chances are that they would go and join gangs or be on the street or they get into crime. So this is a way of creating mentorship for a lot of those kids 
And uh, yeah, I, because I got involved with that, I was fortunate enough to be invited to Arnold Schwarzenegger's home up in Bel Air, which is a fancy suburb of Los Angeles. And I got to spend a couple of nights uh, with him at his home. And then he also works out at my gym, Gold's Gym in Venice Beach. And so I see him at least once or twice a week now working out with me. And he did a set of um, tricep extensions with me a couple of months ago, which was kind of cool, which was a real thrill for me. So Very, very cool. And I know you actually raised $23,000 for that organization. Is that right? Yeah. I called in friends and family and asked for donations and we did a charity fundraiser and we raised the money. And I think we also generated about $100,000 worth of sporting equipment to give to the kids across LA as well. So yeah, it's amazing what you can generate when you ask for it. It's pretty incredible. You know, how do you think that the success that you've created in your career and especially the network you've built, has that had a significant impact on you know, your ability to give back and really make a difference in the world? Yeah. Well, I think if you're well-connected and, and you have a good community of friends and family, then you're just able to succeed in all areas of life. That actually, the, the longest study I think that's ever been conducted was by or is it's still going, is by Harvard University. And it was over 80 years. And what they found is that the biggest factor for someone's happiness levels or overall health over a lifetime is their sense of and belonging to a community, which is really interesting. So it's not making lots of money. It's not even having like the greatest physical health. It's actually feeling part of a community. And so I think one thing that I have excelled at, if not mastered, is creating a community of like-minded people, positive people, people who invite me places, people who I invite places, people who help me, people who I help. When you really embrace that idea of community and go, right, I'm going to create a community for myself and I'm going to be part of a community and going to help people and allow myself to be helped, then you're able to really thrive in your health your wealth, your love, your happiness. And from there, you're able to really help a lot of people and have a deep impact in the world. James, thank you so much for everything you've shared with us today. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. So I'd like to move into what I call the impact round. So I'm going to ask you a series of short questions. And I'd like for you to basically respond with the first answer that pops into your head. You ready? I am ready. Awesome. So who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? Ty Lopez, who's a social media uh, entrepreneur, uh, who was my first business mentor. He's had the most impact on me in terms of my entrepreneurship journey, for sure. Amazing. Definitely recommend everyone check out Ty's content. And I know one thing that he is a huge proponent of is reading and um, actually does... He reads a book a day. Is that right? Yeah. He taught me how to read a book a day. In fact, I was his first student of, of that. So yeah, he and I both read a book a day. He was the master of it and I'm but a mere student. But yeah. You still do that now? Yeah. I, uh, I, read, a book, I read a book a day. I've got a few of them here I've got to get through. There's the a pile there. So yeah, book a day. I just, I saw on that pile, Own the Day, Aubrey Marcus. That is an amazing book. I just finished that one. Any quick tips you can give on how you read a book a day? There's a YouTube video. If you type in my name, James Swanwick, how I read a book a day. Um, I, there's a lengthier video there on me walking you through that. But 
but yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not reading every single word of a book. I read the chapters and then I kind of skim through the book and then I read the relevant parts. Just to be clear, it's nonfiction books. I'm not reading a novel or fiction. It's nonfiction books I read uh, in a day. Well, we'll definitely link to that video in the show notes. So definitely check that out there. Then James, who has been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and make an impact? John Bon Jovi, the rock star. <laughs> I was a massive Bon Jovi fan when I was a kid growing up. It was the first concert I ever saw. And I've been very closely monitoring his life, you know, for 30 years. And what I really like about him is that he got married to his childhood sweetheart. So he's been married, I think, you know, almost 30 years. He has four beautiful children. He gives to charities. He's created a, a kitchen in New Jersey where the homeless can come and eat for free in exchange for, you know, doing washing up and, and giving back a little bit. You know, he's a, he does what he wants to do. He's created a great music career for himself and he just seems to be a well-rounded, good guy. And so I follow his personal life with interest and I got to interview him in 2010, which was a dream come true. I got to spend 30 minutes with my childhood hero, which was just amazing. And I sometimes think about him and what he does and how he stands in the world and that kind of motivates me. And James, when you're having a bad day or you do find yourself in a negative headspace, what do you do to get yourself out of that funk? Yeah, I go back to the basics and the basics are I write in a gratitude diary. So I write 20 things that I'm grateful for each morning. And that gets me thinking about things that I, you know, that are good in my life. I make sure that I eat really well. So I try to eat organic food and I try to eliminate sugars and carbs and things like that. I like to drink lots of water. I try to do a gallon of water a day, but it's a little bit challenging. It's usually about a little bit short of that, maybe two thirds or three quarters of a gallon. I'll make sure that I get sunlight. Sunlight is so good for us. And then some, you know, some exercise. So if I'm in a funk, a lot of times it's just those basics, gratitude, sunlight, exercise, food, and just changing your state, moving around a little bit. Then this is an especially interesting question for you, James. What book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. Oh, I just read that one about two weeks ago. Amazing book. And then what is the best piece of advice related to happiness that you'd give my listeners? Create a rule for yourself that you're not allowed to touch your cell phone in the morning until you have completed writing down 20 things that you're grateful for. James, as you know, here on the show, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where I encourage our listeners who do want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by our guests. So could you tell us what organization you are nominating and why it's so meaningful to you? Yeah, I think After School All-Stars, which I mentioned a couple of times, which is Arnold Schwarzenegger's charity. I had an opportunity to go into some of these East LA schools, which are kind of low income area and really work with some amazing, beautiful kids. And I could see what an impact I was able to make just by being there and spending time with them for an hour and answering questions about careers and life and opportunities. So, you know, it's been going 20 years and it can really help prevent a kid from going into a gang in some of those areas. And also more than that, really help them create a great career, financial life for themselves and, and have opportunities that ordinarily they wouldn't be able to get. 
I will link to that organization in the show notes. We'll also, of course, link to swanwicksleep.com, which is where you can go to get your pair of Swannies, as well as the 30-day noalcoholchallenge.com. James, anywhere else that our listeners should go to learn more about you, your businesses, or to follow your content? Well, I'm pretty active on social media. You can find me on my Instagram, which is at James Swanwick. And uh, if you follow me there, send me a direct message and tell me that you heard me here on the podcast and I'll definitely respond to you and say hi. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It's been so much fun to have you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Well, everyone, that's our show. If you want to get your hands on a pair of Swannies, James has generously offered us 15% off of his entire store. So if you want to take advantage of that, head over to swanwicksleep.com and use the discount code DOGOOD. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits to. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard, and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening.